Hey, Heat Nation! Welcome back to Heaters Gonna Heat, part of the OTG Podcast Network. Thank you for checking in. As always, I'm your host, Kyle Russell, here to chat a little about our favorite NBA team, the Miami Heat. Last week, not too great a week for the Heat. Well, overall, not too bad. 2-2 week, can't complain too much about that. But a really bad blowout loss uh, to the Sixers, followed by a loss to the Knicks that almost assuredly knocks Miami out of the 5 seed. Um, and But then a good bounce back went to the Hawks. So, you know, still some good stuff to talk about overall. But we'll talk about that today, last week's games, as usual. Go over some storylines I think that could be interesting to watch as we go through the last few weeks of the season. And then, as usual, we look ahead to what will be another busy week of Miami basketball, another season-defining week as Miami looks to finish up their six-game homestand. Got a lot to cover with four games to recap, so let's just dive right back into it. So, as I mentioned earlier, last week, 2-2 two two week for Miami, splitting the home-and-home with the Sixers, a close loss to the Knicks, and then a solid win over the Hawks to help close out and, and give a little bit of bounce back for Miami. We go back at first, though, to last Monday, where Miami won at the Philadelphia 76ers 101-99, to a game that Miami would continue to be without Kyle Lowry that would also go through this week. So we're now past... Uh, the original predictions that he would hopefully be back at the end of February. We're now getting into the second week of March. And, yeah, still not op- too optimistic there. We'll get back to that part later on. But for this game and for this week, uh, no Kyle Lowry. Heat went nine deep uh, with no more minutes given to Duncan Robinson or Haywood Highsmith. And this nine-man rotation would pretty much be the same one throughout the week. It's Gabe Vincent and Kevin Love starting alongside the three we already know, Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler, Tyler Hero. And then coming off the bench for Miami, the four coming off the bench, Caleb Martin, Victor Oladipo, Max Struess, uh, Cody Zeller. So that nine, outside of some garbage minutes uh, in the second Sixers game, that nine is what Miami rolled with this week. And I, th- I think that makes a lot of sense given how everybody's performed this season. We'll get back into that uh, later on as well, though. But for this game itself, uh, Miami gets out to an early lead. Butler setting up a 3-assist 7-0 run in the first to get Miami a little bit of separation going into the second. Second itself, very back and forth. While the third quarter saw the Sixers able to chip away a little bit to get themselves back into the game. Fourth quarter came around. Miami pulled their usual, their little stint of the game where they just completely failed to score. And the Sixers were actually able to take a lead up 99-98 with a minute 40 left to go. And then we had a a little bit of fun time (laughs) closing out this game. Jimmy Butler hitting an absolutely ridiculous circus layup. Like the kind of thing where reverse layup, he's hitting the other side, shooting it way off the glass. It looks like there's it's going to bounce off the rim 20 different ways, and it just happens to go in. Love it when it happens for us. We'll see a little bit later on how that can sometimes go the opposite direction. But in this moment, Jimmy Butler hitting a clutch circus layup to put the heat back up. Bam Adebayo blocking Joel Embiid on the other end of the floor to keep that lead. Jimmy going 1-2 from the free throw line to give Miami a two-point cushion. And then it came down to a Sixers possession where the Heat were able to force the ball out of Joel Embiid's hands. It goes to James Harden. Jimmy Butler closes out and manages to do just enough to get James Harden to go too strong on it. Ball bounces off the rim. Miami win by two. And yeah, if you've been watching this team as much as I have this season, this wasn't anything too new. Another really close Miami win where they just managed to execute a little bit better down the stretch. Takeaways from the game, though. 
Jimmy Butler just completely taking over this game. 23 points, 11 rebounds, 9 assists. I mentioned a 3-assist run he did earlier. Uh, also with four, uh, Jimmy also finished with 4 steals, uh, 9 of 14 from the field, 1 of 1 from 3-point range, 4 of 6 in the free throw line. Set up his teammates, like I mentioned the run earlier. Grabbed a bunch of boards, finished with a double-double, which is especially important because in matchups like this, Bam Adebayo has to spend more time and energy just trying to box out Embiid rather than getting the rebounds. This is something we saw a little bit similar uh, a few weeks ago. I think it was in the Bucks game. But that same kind of concept, right? If Bam's having to box out, Jimmy can go get boards. Jimmy got boards. He got 11 of them. Also hitting the clutch shot. Uh, at the end of the game, the circus layup, a free throw to give it a little more cushion, contesting Harden on what ended up being a, a game, a potential game winner for him. Jay Butler did it all. Got to give him his credit when he does so. Uh, second takeaway for this game, the Heat have ways to limit Embiid. This goes back to the playoff series last year as well, where they started facing him, but also that it continues on through this one as well. They have seen him enough times, they know the parts of his game that they can exploit. And shout out to uh, Miami Heat Beat, they're, they're always pointing this one out, but just the Heat's ability to force Embiid into turnovers, forcing him into six turnovers this game, while also keeping him from the foul line, um, Embiid leading the league in free throw attempts, if you've watched Embiid play even a single game this year, you understand how he gets to the free throw line so very often. Uh, and then also putting four personal fouls on Embiid as well, making him be a little bit hesitant. Near, well, get him pulled out of the third quarter when he had his fourth foul, and then he had to play a little bit hesitant in the fourth quarter to make sure he didn't get into further foul trouble or even fouled out. So while he still did do a bunch of damage from the points category, going 27 points on 10 to 17 from the field, it's the other areas that Miami can exploit, forcing him into turnovers, making him foul, keeping him from the free throw line. Like those are the areas that limit Embiid's overall impact and make him make what he does for the Sixers more of a good, not great thing. And thus translates in part two, a Miami Heat win. And then last takeaway, finally a great shooting night for Miami, going 15 to 37 from three-point range, good for 41%, with big contributions from Gabe Vincent, 4 of 8, Kevin Love, 2 of 6, good to see Kevin Love getting a bit more on there, Struce 3 of 8, Oladipo, 3 of 5, but I still think it says quite a bit that Miami had a great three-point shooting night, all the thing I just mentioned, and they still only scored 101 points, which is a less than what they average on the season, which is about 108, which is, again, still the lowest points per game in the league. So, yay the three-point shooting there, but it's not the end-all, be-all. They they still need to score efficiently in the areas they were already doing so beforehand. Like, just just, just combine them. Maybe, maybe we can get to some games where that's more combined, so we really can see how this goes. Before we get to those games, though, we have to talk about last Wednesday, where the Heat started their season-defining six-game homestand, getting absolutely blasted by the Sixers that they just beat, 96-119. to For Miami, same rotation I mentioned earlier. The exception, though, this game was an absolute blowout, so in the fourth quarter, Duncan Robinson and Haywood Highsmith got some garbage time minutes, just to make sure I do my due diligence. But what also made this game especially bad for Miami, the Sixers going without Joel Embiid. Instead, going small ball with P.J. Tucker, which is something that Miami has done before and they copied from Houston before them. So Tucker at the five lineups have, have been seen before from variations of the teams that have had him. But 
them going small with Tucker at the five and putting Tyrese Maxey into the starting lineup just blew Miami out of the water. You could also call this the we got thrashed by the Sixers without Embiid game. There you go. Uh, both teams, though, coming out absolutely hot in the first quarter. So in that way, you couldn't quite see what was about to come Miami's way. Miami was able to lead through after the first quarter up 38-34, to 34, and that was about where the good times ended. Second quarter came around. Heat's offense just completely died while the Sixers kept going. Heat going 5-19 from the field, 1-8. of eight from three-point range in the second quarter. Well, the Sixers, not actually as efficient on offense as I had originally thought, but mainly just really hitting their threes, going 7 of 11 from three-point range. I mean, the 21 points right there, that's pretty good. That'll sustain your offense for a quarter right there. Uh, as the Sixers took an 18-point lead going into halftime. And I won't lie, even at the time, I felt confident. I mean, how many times have we seen this Heat team just puke itself in the first half and then scrape their way to make this a close game in the second. Uh, A lot of times, tonight was not one of those times, though. Third quarter came around, and the Heat were trying to follow that script. They almost got it to single points with about four minutes left in third, and then their offense died again while they gave up a 7-0 run for the Sixers that effectively sealed the game. And then just to throw some salt uh, in the wound, make sure everything's completely done, Sixers got their lead up to 25 early in the fourth, put away any doubts. Jimmy Butler didn't even play a minute in the fourth quarter to give you an idea that it just became garbage down the stretch. Takeaways from this game then. Heat's three-point shooting just came crashing back down to earth. Another game where they finished with single-digit three-pointers made going 7 of 29, which is good for 24% in a blowout loss. What I did think was interesting about this, though, they took 15 attempts in the first half, only 14 in the second, which is a little bit peculiar because if you're in that much of a hole, typically you want to try to rely more on the three-point shooting and hope that the variance can eventually get you out of that hole. But conversely, Miami wasn't hitting anything. And in fact, the one of the reasons how the Sixers got back and did that 9-0 run where Miami's offense died was because the Sixers eventually figured out in the third, oh, they're just going to Bam Adebayo. So we're just going to collapse the paint on Bam and dare their shooters to shoot. And they didn't, and that's where Miami's offense died in the third. Sixers get on the run. We go right back to having a blowout instead of our usual close quarter. Second takeaway, Heat had no good answer for the small ball lineup the Sixers rolled out. In part because Tyrese Maxey was really effective at attacking the space that was being provided uh, by P.J. Tucker, you know, being out in the corner instead of being an MB closer to the uh, post. Maxey had a lot of space to thrive in. Killed Miami, finishing with 27 points on 10-17 to from the field, while Tucker made it hard for Miami to punish them on the other end because Tucker's a great small ball five. We saw this ourselves last year. But the last takeaway I really have for this is just how both Tyrese Maxey and the P.J. Tucker lineup could be issues for Miami in a potential 3-6 matchup. Like, that's a, a little taste of what we got last week, right? You had a Monday where you're at Philly, you know, you go in, you win, right? And then you have immediately your next game is also against Philly. So Philly is going, hey, we lost. What adjustments can we make? Oh, cool, we blew them out in the next game. And then in a playoff series, you would then go, okay, well, what can we do to adjust to that? And so on and so forth. So that part of it where it's like, hey, 
you know, we have an answer for some of the stuff Embiid does, but in a potential 3-6 matchup, we would also need to have some answers for some of these curveballs, like what Tyrese Maxey can do, especially in small ball lineups with like a P.J. Tucker at the 5. Okay, I am horrible at keeping my pace on this. Uh, let's keep going. Friday, we lost to the New York Knicks, unfortunately, 120-122. to 122. Same nine-man rotation that we've seen before. Um, if I wanted to give a joke name for this, the what-the-fuck-was-that-shot-by-Julius-Randall game. Seriously. Um, so, game itself, Heat building a solid lead in the first quarter until Julius Randle caught fire, scoring the Knicks' last 13 points in the first quarter and pushing their lead um, over Miami, up 37-31. The second quarter itself, Emmanuel quickly picked up for the Knicks, where Julius Randle left off, scoring the Knicks' first 10 points as they built up a double-digit lead against Miami that they would hold throughout the quarter into halftime. In the third quarter itself, Tyler Hero, Bam Adebayo came out aggressive, scoring double-digit points uh, apiece in the third and helped cut Miami's deficit down to single digits going into the fourth quarter. Again, a lot of the usual stuff we see, right? Heat dig themselves a hole in the first half. They start to come back in the second half. Fourth quarter itself, a 9-0 run in the middle of the fourth quarter got Miami a very brief lead before both teams just started battling, exchanging blows, and exchanging the lead down the stretch. What it ultimately came down to in the last minute, down one, Tyler Hero does a phenomenal play, stealing the ball right out of Julius Randle and scoring a layup that puts Miami up one. Then on the other end is where we come to the name of the game, Julius Randle, and, like, loses the ball, picks it back up, off balance, fading with, like, two or three seconds left on the shot clock, chuck up, heave, goes right through the net. Nick's been by two. What the fuck was that shot, Julius Randle? Oh, yeah, and I put in my notes a little sad face because that, that shot made me very sad. It had no business going in. <laughs> Um, takeaways for this game now. Heat offense started to get going. I mean, 120 points is way more than this team typically scores at 108. Uh, scoring 120 points in large part due to 12 of 25 from three-point range. That's good for 48%. And would have been enough for the win if not for Julius Randle going off, which is unfortunately the second takeaway I have for this game. Julius Randle, 43 points on 16 of 25 from the field. 8 of 13 from 3, scored 20 in the first, 10 in the third, nailed the game winner. Dude was just cooking Miami all night. He had it going. And, I mean, the, the, the phrase in basketball is always great offense beats great defense. Miami was doing great defense. Did not matter to Julius Randle that night. Didn't matter in the first quarter when he went 13 straight, and it didn't matter at the end of the game when he chucked up a shot that arguably shouldn't have gone in, but went in anyway. And that's kind of also one of those things where, like, you know, sometimes you got to have that give and take, right? Monday we had a crazy circus layup by Jimmy Butler that arguably had no business going in, and that helped win us the game. And then here, Julius Randle returns the favor to us. It, it just sucks more because it's the Knicks. But last positive takeaway for this game, Tyler Hero looking quite a bit better, finishing with 29 points, 8 rebounds, 6 assists on 11 of 18 from the field, 5 of 8 from 3-point range, great shooting there, 2-2 from the free throw line. Got Miami the lead in the closing seconds with defense and tenacity, not just like his usual 
I guess for lack of a better term, like commandeer the offense, dribble, 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 pull up. Oh, great. That's super cool when you make it, dude. This is a... I wanted to highlight this especially because it was more so his defense getting the steal, tenacity to immediately turn that into a layup rather than try to pull it out, say, for a three or something. Dude just went right for it. Like, legitimate gamer moment. Does kind of suck that Julius Randle's bullshit shot ended up ruining what should have been a great win brought to us by Tyler Hero. But that's how it goes sometimes. Moving on to the last game for last week. Last Saturday, a back-to-back where Miami won, getting a bounce-back win, hosting the Atlanta Hawks, beating them 117-109. to Again, I mentioned same uh, nine-man rotation that they've had all week. This was the second night of a back-to-back for Miami, but also the same for the Hawks as well. They played the, I think it was they hosted Portland or something the previous night. They had a game the, the, the previous night, I know that much, so it's not like they came in with a rest advantage either. Game itself, the Heat edge out the Hawks in the first quarter behind some really solid three-point shooting. As we get into the second, uh, a dominant start and finish in the second quarter by Bam Adebayo. Gets Miami up 17 on the Hawks by halftime. As we get into the third quarter, Heat pushed their lead as high as 21 in the third before the Heat started to, uh, sorry, Hawks came alive a little bit, getting the deficit down to 12 before we go into the fourth quarter. You can already feel that little bit of tightening. Because this is also the other flip side of Miami. Even if they are blowing out another team, you're pretty sure that they're going to find a way to make this close in the stretch, and it's probably because their offense puked itself at one point. Fourth quarter itself, Heat uh, Hawks got the deficit as low as 5, and you could just feel yourself starting to clinch up a little bit. But Miami instead decided they were did not want a close game, pushing their lead back up to 12 with about two and a half minutes to go to seal the game off. A relatively drama-free win. Like, granted, this was not a blowout win by any means, but like, there was a little bit of comfort here, which almost makes me feel uncomfortable in a counterintuitive way. Takeaways for this game, though. Another good, not great, good three-point shooting game for Miami, going 13 to 35 from the field. Sorry, from the field, 13 to 35 from three-point range, good for 37%. With some good shooting from Caleb Martin, three of five from the field, Vincent, three of seven, and though the percentage is not that great, still good volume. Tyler Hero, three of nine, so Hero consistently knocking down threes and putting up some uh, good volume attempts. Second takeaway for this game, great game from Bam Adebayo, who has been a little low-key quiet over the last few weeks. Not quite bad exactly, like single-digit points or anything, but you know, more so in his teens, low 20s, rather than what, what we had come become accustomed to throughout January and early February. But Bam Adebayo still finishing with 30 points, 11 rebounds, 5 assists, 1 steal, 2 blocks. Whew. On 10 to 12 from the field, 10 to 12 from the free throw line as well. Dropped 13 in the second quarter. That was where he he started out with a few pointers, and then he finished with a few pointers to help Miami build that big lead in the second. And then got another 12 points in the fourth quarter to keep Miami ahead of the Hawks and cruise a little bit down the stretch. Last takeaway for this game, Miami gutting Atlanta's backcourt. Uh, DeJounte Murray finishing with 10 points on 3 of 14 from the field, and Trey Young finishing with 8 points on 2 of 13 from the field. Hawks still found offense in other areas. They finished with 109 points, so it's not like they, that once those two went down, it was abysmal. But the damage that the Hawks were doing in other areas was more so just 
able to keep pace with Miami. And when things really got tight in the fourth quarter, when the Hawks were only down five, that was where Miami just keyed in back on their back, forced the ball to their backcourt. Murray and Young couldn't do anything. Miami able to build their lead back up to 12. So when it mattered most, that is where uh, Miami gutting the backcourt for the Hawks worked in their favor. Overall, that's a 2-2 two and two week that saw Miami hit a really nasty low in the loss against Philly, but may have a little bit of optimism since they were able to go 500 in the week, and their offense is starting to look a little interesting after, after those last two games. Moving on, spent a good 20 minutes just going over last week's games, but it's a lot. Like, there's four games. That's, that's a pretty packed week. For the middle segment, I wanted to go over some storylines I think would be interesting to observe over the last few weeks of the regular season. Because, again, right when after All-Star break, all of a sudden it's like the end of the season's right there. But it's a few more weeks, and I think these would be interesting to see how they, how they go, and then we come back to them at the end of the regular season. Uh, first one, and most relevant to Miami, especially after these last two games, is Miami's offense showing signs of life. The shooting has looked better over the last week. I mean, if if you exclude the two, the Wednesday game where they got blown out by the Sixers, where their their shooting was terrible, their three point shooting was pretty good to great over the last week. Yes, uh, the Philly game, they still managed to only score one hundred and one points despite the great three point shooting. But once they were able to combine that with some of the stuff that usually works with them, with like going to Bam, Hero, Jimmy, and those more like within the arc areas, we saw how that worked out with them scoring 120 points against the Knicks, who are legit defense, and 117 points against the Hawks. That's still a good Hawks team. Like they're going to be in the play-in tournament. So the question is, can they build upon this? Because these last two games, Miami scored over 110 points, which has been very rare this season. Maybe. <laughs> it, it's it's so tough. Miami has had a really great shot profile all year long, so it hasn't been the question of if they're getting good looks. It's just been the question of getting the players to convert those looks. Maybe they just had a good week where they're converting it. Maybe they're actually starting to, to stumble onto something. So for the sake of saying, well, how could they have stumbled, like what could have actually have changed and make this more sustainable going forward, the best thing I could point to would be stability in the rotation. Because, again, if you follow this team all year long, we do injury watch every, uh, every week on this. And in part, that is to reflect the fact that Miami's rotation is const- was constantly shifting. Victor Oladipo's out for a little bit, so that means Max Truce has to be six men. Oh, no, Victor Oladipo's not back now. But Kyle Lowry went down, so then I guess that means we put Struess in the starting lineup. Wait, no, 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 sorry. We actually need to put Vincent back in the starting lineup. Oh, no, now Deadman went down. Okay, now then we bring in Orlando Robinson. Okay, now it's just been that. (laughs) It's been stuff like that all season. And for a week, we actually had a stable rotation. We had a stable nine-man rotation. Not necessarily our best because Kyle Lowry was still out, but we knew who the starters were. We knew who the bench were. The, everybody knew their role, and I think that kind of stability may have helped them get to a more comfortable spot, which in turn has resulted in better three-point shooting, which, again, in turn gets to, hey, now the offense can actually, you know, not be the worst scoring offense in the league, oh, we can start to string together wins 
Uh, and again, you could even look to that Knicks game and say, hey, if again, if not for Julius Randle absolutely going off, Miami wins that game, they would have had a 3-1 and one week, and we'd be even more optimistic about their offense. Now, it would definitely be <laughs> much appreciated. Like, I went over last week where we talked about just like how this Heat team looked at the three-quarter mark of the season. The TLDR from that segment last week was essentially Miami Heat, you know, elite title-contending defense, but one of, if not the worst, offenses in the league, in large part because of the three-part shooting drop going from first last year to, like, 27th, 28th this year. So, again, the solution was always there. They could shoot better from three, they're going to have a better offense. They're going to win more games. If the stability is going to get to the three-point shooting, by all means, keep this rotation as is. Which I think that segues well into the next storyline to kind of watch over the next few weeks. Is the rotation truly settled? Uh, after last week, I believe so. Like At, at this point, it's, it's kind of a nut-up-and-shut-up time. Like You throw out your best rotation... And you sink or swim with it, barring some like catastrophic injury or, or something along those lines. So we know Duncan Robinson at this point has been cut out of the rotation except for garbage time. Uh, I think that has me a little bit concerned from the standpoint of how are you supposed to increase Duncan's trade value if you don't even play him. But again, at this point, they're, they're fighting to get out of the play-in. They're not fighting to recoup Duncan's trade value for the summer. So I understand that. <laughs> Uh, in the same sense, I also understand not really having any room for Amir Yurtseven or Nikola Jovic, uh, both of them looking like more long-term projects, especially when you bring in players like Kevin Love and Cody Zeller to kind of fill in those roles. You wouldn't want to halfway, like, again, halfway through this month, be like, hey, guys, we're actually going to cut your roles and bring in these two younger players. Uh, sorry if that messes up your any contract negotiations in the summer. Like, that could... That could potentially lead to a, a bad chemistry thing. Like, I would actually, I would have to imagine that they probably told Cody Zeller and, Z- and Kevin Love, like, if you come to Miami in the buyout market, you have these spots for un- until the summer, and then we we rediscuss it then. So, in that sense, yeah, um, unless there's injury, I think Yurt and Jovic are out of the rotation as well, which is fine. I think you stash them in the G League, you get them playing time, you keep developing them and you come back to that in the summer or next year. Really, the question about the rotation being settled, I think, comes back to Kyle Lowry and what happens when slash if he comes back. Because, I don't know, it's, it's really dragging on at this point. And, and some of the talk around the situation is, is kind of smoky, in the sense of, like, some grumblings, maybe Kyle and the team don't quite get along as well as they used to, and the saying that there's smoke, there's fire. I don't know. Heat like to keep a tight lip about stuff like this, so we will have to see if anything spills out. I'm fairly confident Kyle Lowry comes back. Like Again, he's making a ton of money, and it's, it's really hard to sit a player making that much money when you're already doing that with Duncan Robinson. Um, but I think the question that's of interest when Kyle Lowry does come back is, does he come back as the starter or does he come back as the bench? And knee-jerk reaction is, is obviously going to be starter. But for devil's advocates, let me make the argument for the bench. Gabe Vincent varies from okay to bad, but for the most part, fits in his role, knows where he's at, and 
the starting lineup to a degree works. Uh, with Kyle Lowry coming off the bench, what I think that could allow Lowry more to do is focus on just running the bench and trying to get the best out of those bench players. And if you think back to some of the times Kyle Lowry has been most successful in a Heat uniform, it's been December 2021 and November 2022. And the underlining similarities from those two months in particular are not having a lot of Bam and Jimmy because of injury and Kyle just going out there with primarily bench units and making making magic out of beans, essentially. So if you're Spo, you might... I could almost see the argument there where you look at this and you go, maybe we just try it uh, for a game or two, just having him come off the bench. At the very least, you could talk yourself into it and being like, hey, we want to ease him back in. We don't want to throw him right back into the starting lineup against starters. This could also be a, a more long-term maintenance thing. Like if, if Lowry's body is really starting to break down, it might also just be easier for him to go against bench units. So that would be another reason. But for now, we have to first wait and see what happens when Kyle Lowry comes back and where the Heat are at that standpoint, which gets us to the next uh, storyline for this. Can Miami make it out of the plan? I think that's probably the one that's, that's most prevalent on our minds lately. And to be honest, it, it's getting re- the margin for error is getting really thin, and it's looking a lot like it'll be six seed or play-in. Top four or five pretty much seem out of the question right now. They're, so Knicks at five are four and a half games ahead of Miami, and then the Cavs are like five and a half ahead of that. So, yeah, top four or five seem about out of the question. And really it's about now where the Heats are in contention with the Hawks, maybe the Raptors who have started to come on lately to see if they those teams can catch the Nets for six. Nets team still obviously has to lose, but they still have a, a sizable two-and-a-half game lead over Miami before you even get to the other teams below Miami. So that'll something that will have to develop over the next few weeks and definitely is not a given. Like, you could tell me any of those four teams end up as six. Well, maybe the Raptors, I would have a hard time seeing it just because of uh, how much of a crazy turnaround that would have to be. But, like, Heat, Hawks or Nets being the sixth seed, yeah, I could definitely see one of those three at the end of the season, which would set up a first-round matchup against most likely the Philadelphia 76ers, who are the current third seed, barring any sort of collapse. So that's also a, that's something to play for for Miami. Like, it's not the most ideal matchup. Like, you would maybe want the Cavs for lack of experience, but out of the home court teams, Miami probably matched up the best with the Sixers, and maybe they could Jedi mind trick their way into getting past them in the first round. But before they could even get there, they would have to, you know, get the 60. Just to say that it could set up potentially their most winnable first round, um, especially compared to, say, falling into the play-in where you're guaranteed to play one of the Bucks or Celtics. Like, that's a first round exit as far as I'm concerned. Last uh, storyline to follow throughout this season. What will be of Udonis Haslam's last season? Announced over the weekend, he will be retiring after this year. We'll have made it 20 years with the Miami Heat. which Just 20 years with the same team is a phenomenal record in and of itself. For context, there have only been 
three players in NBA history to play 20-plus seasons with the same team. Obviously, one is Udonis Haslam. The other two are literal legends uh, in their own rights. Dirk Nowitzki from the Dallas Mavericks, Kobe Bryant for the Los Angeles Lakers. Udonis Haslam is a legend for, for us Heat fans, not to discredit him for that. But just to say that, like, that's the company he's in for stuff like this. So we, we can't overlook what an accomplishment that is, even if he's not really playing that much anymore. And, yeah, it'll be the end of an era for Miami, at least in the locker room, uh, and to a degree for the fan base as well. I mean, a lot of us have grown up. Udonis Haslam has always been on the team. It's 20 years. My hope, at least, let's get Udonis Haslam to the playoffs, and, and we'll go out in the playoffs. Like, we did not get that opportunity with Dwayne Wade's last dance to get to the playoffs. Let's at least do it for Udonis Haslam. Moving on now. As usual, let's take a look at the standings, see how Miami's doing with the teams that are around them. So, like I mentioned last week, we're not going to talk about fourth plays until it actually gets somewhat relevant with Miami being down in seventh right now. But fifth place currently is the New York Knicks, four and a half games of Miami ahead of Miami, nine and one in their last ten. They're just pulling away and, and you know, didn't help dropping that game to them last Friday, so that part sucks. I don't like being below New York, but whatever. That's the reality of the situation we're in right now. Sixth place, the Brooklyn Nets. Two, still two and a half games ahead of Miami. Four or six in their last ten. Nets have had some ugly losses recently, but they're still managing to get enough wins together that they're staying ahead of Miami and everybody else below them. Seventh place, Miami Heat. Four and six in the last ten. Explains why they've yet to catch ground on the on the Nets. They're having the same record in the last ten. Eighth place, Atlanta Hawks, one and a half games back of Miami. So that win last Saturday, really great to keep that cushion uh, between them and the Hawks. Even if they were to lose their game against the Hawks tonight, Miami would still be ahead, though the, their lead would be uh, razor thin at that point. But Hawks, uh, five and five in the last ten, just managing to stay about perfectly 500 but if the team's ahead of you are going four and six going 500 will eventually have you catch up to them so you got to keep that in mind the hawks starting to loom in miami's rearview mirror ninth place the raptors two games behind of miami they've gone seven and three in their last 10 so that's where i mentioned earlier the Haw- uh, raptors starting to come alive a little bit and there's still enough time that that they could threaten miami for the seventh seed maybe even the nets for the sixth seed and then 10th place right now, the Washington Wizards, three and a half games back of Miami, going 5-5 five five in the last 10. Wizards looking like they're settling around the 10th or maybe 11th, depending upon how things shake out in the last few weeks. Those are the standings. Moving on to injury watch. So, Amir Yurt 7 has been upgraded to available for tonight. Uh, makes sense because Kevin Love has been listed out due to a rib contusion. Uh, Yurt has been playing with the Sky Force. He's been pretty much rehabbing for about the last month, month and a half or so. Like, he was cleared for full body contact at the end of uh, January, and he's been playing, I want to say, at least a week or two with the Sky Force. So, he might get called up tonight, or Miami just might go eight deep instead. We'll see. We'll see. 
But uh, Jovic also listed out Monday with a back, so that just since Kevin loves out, you you would probably think more so Jovic would be who you'd call up. Unfortunately, Jovic is already out uh, due to back injury. Kyle Lowry also listed out Monday with knee, though it would only say up to Monday. So I, I guess at this point we're just kind of going game by game and hoping that eventually uh, Kyle Lowry will play again. And then I already mentioned Kevin Love out Monday. So not too bad this week for um, injuries, surprisingly. Though I think losing Love, even for a single game, might hurt from the standpoint of trying to build chemistry, especially if that chemistry is leading to the three-point shooting like we mentioned earlier. But for this upcoming week of games for Miami to finish this podcast off, Miami will be finishing up their homestand with three more games this week and then taking a quick road trip up to Orlando for one road game. So first, Miami will be hosting the Atlanta Hawks tonight. It's a Hawks team, like we mentioned, eighth in the East, 32-32 overall record, 5-5 five and five in the last 10. They stay perfectly balanced, as all things should be. Last meeting of the four with the Atlanta Hawks this season, Miami currently up 2-1 with last Saturday's win over the Hawks. A Hawks team that is still fully healthy, but also a Hawks team, again, we, we know what the Heat need to do to beat this Hawks team. Just what they did last Saturday. Limit Young, contain Murray, restrict the Hawks transition game. They weren't quite doing that as well, and that's what, what led to some other players for the Hawks hurting Miami a bit. But really, if you just limit the backcourt, th- that puts you in a great position to win the game. Same stuff that we went over last Saturday. This, though, I would say is the most important game of the week, given how close the Hawks are to overtaking Miami in the stands. Like, there there are two important games against the Cavs, and then a somewhat important game against the Magic just from the standpoint of trying to keep up wins. But in terms of, like, if we if we go 1-3 in the next week and at least we beat the Hawks, I can I can stay positive next week. So we either need to win a number of other ones to stay ahead or just win this Hawks game tonight, please. That's the most important game of the week. After tonight's game, the Heat will host the Cleveland Cavaliers both Wednesday and Friday to finish off their homestand. Wednesday, uh, there's a Cavs team that is fourth in the East, 40-26 overall record, 6-4 in their last 10. This will be the third of four meetings with them, currently 1-1 with a close win uh, last month and then a blowout loss in late November. Yeah, a blowout loss to the Cavs in late November. So 1-1 currently, and we have these last two games to finish off the season series, even though it might not matter as much because the Cavs are pretty far ahead. Um, oh, yeah, I should also mention for the Hawks real quick as well, beating them would also put Miami up 3-1 uh, for the tiebreaker, so that would be huge. They can't lose the tiebreaker to the Hawks. At worst, it would be 2-2 for that one, but they have a chance to win it tonight, so even more so most important win of the week. Now back to the Cavs. Uh, for injuries, potential injuries for the Cavs, uh, Donovan Mitchell has a sprained finger. He's listed day-to-day. Just for due diligence sake, I mentioned it. I think he's going to play, um, at, at the very least, be ready to play Wednesday. This is a really tough Cavs team. They're top four for a legitimate reason. High-level team with a Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland backcourt, and then a Jared Allen, Evan Mobley front court. Like, the backcourt on the offensive end to deal with is tough, and then the oppositely, the front court on the defensive end is equally tough. Miami will have the work cut out for them, but like we know with this team, they can grind down any team 
It's just a matter of if they'll have enough offense to come out on top. But the Heat will then turn around and play this exact same Cavs team on Friday. And this one will start a back-to-back, but it's also the last game of Miami's homestand. So depending upon how the Wednesday game goes, like if they lose Wednesday, maybe they put more effort into winning Friday. That would at least guarantee that they went 3-3 on the homestand, uh, 2-2 for this week if they beat the Hawks as well. Well, sorry, I'm assuming that they beat the Hawks. So they go 3-3 in the homestand, 2-2 this week. And then whatever happens Saturday can just kind of be extra. Conversely, if they beat the Hawks, they beat the Cavs, now you're just kind of playing with house money and you just hope to split one of Cavs Magic back-to-back Friday, Saturday. You probably lean more so trying to beat the Magic on Saturday, maybe rest people Friday. Especially if you beat the Cavs Wednesday, they might come out tougher on Friday, and then you go, cool, here you go. Kind of like with the Sixers, right? Go ahead, have your win. We got what we needed, and we'll just focus on the next game, which is at Magic on Saturday. So Magic team, currently 13th in the East, 27-38 overall record, 5-5 five and five in the last 10. This will be the third of four meetings with the Magic. Miami currently up 2-0 in the season series with two really grinded-out wins. The last one was an overtime win as well. Uh, important injuries for the Magic. Jonathan Isaac has been listed out for the season. That's, uh, from just a basketball perspective, pretty sad. He was out most of the year, got back, looked like he was starting to look good, develop a little rhythm, and then he just goes out with this. But at the very least, he wasn't too big a part in their rotation um, this year. And then also for the Magic, Wendell Carter Jr. and Gary Harris listed day-to-day, but you know it's day-to-day on a Monday by Saturday. I'm fairly sure they will be good. So of these two, between the Cavs and the Magic, you'd almost certainly say that the Cavs would be the tougher one, the Magic would be the easier of the two, but I really don't think it's by as much as you think, mainly because of some advantages going Orlando's way. Particularly, this will be Orlando's last game of a four-game homestand, so they will have been at home for a good bit, also well-rested, and they have Friday off, so they will have a rest advantage over Miami, who will be playing against the Cavs Friday night. So I, I lean more towards if the Heat are going to win a game, uh, try to split a game between that those two Cavs games, I think they want to do it Wednesday so that way Friday can be tossed away if need be to then win uh, Saturday. Even without that, though, it's going to be tough. There's a reason the Magic have, for the most part, gotten out ahead over Miami and then Miami has needed to grind out these last two wins. Uh, they have a really good wing duo with Paolo, uh, Paolo Banchero and Franz Wagner. Um, we know how wing duos can give Miami problems. We look at the Celtics for that. So limiting them will be tough, and then it's also limiting their other role players that have really stepped up. Uh, Markel Fultz, Wendell Carter Jr. in particular, especially if he's playing. But it mainly comes down to limiting Franz and Paolo. If you do that, Miami's a good chance of winning. They've played Miami tough both times, and I think there's an argument to be made that on paper they have more talent than Miami. I mean, well, they have a number one overall pick, so they actually arguably should have more talent on paper than Miami. It's just the question of if they have enough experience to pair with that talent to overcome Miami's definite advantage in experience. And we will get an opportunity to see that on Saturday. After that, though, Miami will be back home for a quick two-game homestand hosting the Utah Jazz and Memphis Grizzlies, so those could also be opportunities for Miami to pick up some more wins. But that will be next week. We will talk about that next week. 
For now, though, I do thank you for hanging around for a little bit longer than usual, Pod. That'll be all for this episode, though. Please, if you can, follow the pod off of Twitter at Heaters Heating and myself at Kyle underscore B underscore Russell. Also, check out the other great pods we have at OTG Basketball, especially for, like, Nets, Pacers, Celtics coverage. We're pretty great over there. Links for everything are in the show notes, as usual. I'll be back next week. So until then, hope you all have a good one. Heat Nation.